Welcome, friends, to the Girl Mom Podcast. This is Carrie Kimpakis, your host. Today, I'm bringing back my dear friend, Kim Anderson, a Nashville counselor who joined me on episode 48 that was titled Secrets of Being a Strong Mom. That episode really resonated and has been one of my most downloaded podcasts, so make sure you check it out if you haven't already. Like me, Kim has been married almost 25 years, and we know how hard it is to stay connected to your spouse when you're in the thick of raising kids. We know the ups and the downs of a long marriage, and also the power of marriage to positively transform your life. Kim and her husband Dave have two children, a daughter at Auburn and a high school senior who will soon join a sister at Auburn. Since Kim is on the brink of being an empty nester, I also look forward to hearing her wisdom on preparing for that season. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a five-star review and tell your friends about it too so that other families can find the Girl Mom podcast as well. I appreciate you listening, as always, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Kim. I am so thankful to have you here today and so thankful you have made the trip from Nashville to Birmingham so we could do this in person. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love sitting across from you. I know. It's better than than Zoom, definitely. Well, I I love that. I feel like our lives are so parallel. And if anybody listened to that first podcast, I think I shared then that we met. I think you came to one of my speaking events several years ago in Nashville. And then we reconnected last year at Auburn when Ella started and we met at a tailgate. And just I remember having the deepest conversation in the tent and just thinking she is my person. Yes, yes. It was so fun because our tailgates were right next to each other. Yes. And then the funniest thing is that um, we took our family Christmas photo in front of it and had your tailgate in the background (laughs) of our family. (laughs) That's right. Christmas card. That's right. I forgot about that. That's so fun. Well, it just goes to show that God has such an awesome way of intersecting our lives with the people that we need exactly Mm -hmm. when we need those friendships. And so I'm so thankful for your friendship and just love the work that you're doing. You're doing so much good work as a counselor and really excited to talk about this topic because, you know, with what I do, I talk a lot about parenting and raising kids and definitely raising girls. But, you know, a big component of that for a lot of moms listening is the marriage component. Mm -hmm. And especially where we are now, when you've been as married as long as we have been, you really realize you have to reconnect with your spouse and you have kind of neglected things in the past. So I'm excited about this conversation. Um, I want to start off by saying that, you know, as I think about like my marriage with Harry, obviously we celebrate 25 years in June, as I mentioned earlier, we're about to have that big anniversary. And and I realized that I think sometimes what hurts us the most in marriage is we're doing life together, mm-hmm. is that when something is not going well, or when you're stressed, or when the kids are driving you crazy, or something's just off the rails, the easiest person to blame is your life partner, mm-hmm. your spouse. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find myself doing sometimes when I'm in a negative mindset, and I'm upset about something, or feel like I'm stressed and overwhelmed, you know, I'm automatically prone to blame him. And I feel like that that's what happens with a lot of couples over time. Do you see that in what you're doing as a counselor? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's so easy to blame the other person in the relationship. We get in this dynamic and it it kind of becomes easier, right? Our spouse becomes kind of a scapegoat for us when yes. we're feeling frustrated because we don't want to take it out on our kids. We end up taking it out on our spouse. Oh, that's so good. That's so true. Yeah. And, and I think that it just goes back to taking them for granted. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also, and I have to remind myself, not only of this with my kids, but with my husband too, that, you know, we're on the same team. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we have an enemy in this world who, and I just see it happening so much, especially since COVID. I mean, he wants to destroy marriages, destroy families. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants chaos at home because our kids need a safe haven. We need a safe haven. 
And I truly believe that with the right relationships and healthy relationships and love and support, we can get through these trials and adversities we face. Mm-hmm. But when you rip those things out from underneath someone, then that, that makes our trials and problems feel 10 times harder. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I'm seeing in the work that I'm doing is that not only are we facing harder challenges, but we don't always have the support at home. And so, you know, for a lot of moms, I know there might be single moms listening too. And um, I have such a heart for single moms because I have a lot of friends who are single moms and they are my heroes. <laughs> They're yes. amazing. And I think God blesses you, and he, he blesses your circumstances and works with your circumstances no matter what if you're doing things to please him. But um, anyway, I think like with marriage, we, it's easy to blame our partner, to see them as the enemies. I think the first thing we have to do in reconnecting with our spouse is to know that we are on the same team, mm-hmm. you know, that we really have the same goals, and to know that, it, you know, really recognize those seasons where tensions can really rise. I think when the kids are little, it's easy to have those tensions with your spouse because you're busy. But I feel like our bigger tensions came as they became teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I would even say maybe tensions, but more just time apart. Because all of a sudden, we've got four kids going in four different directions. Yeah. And I have such a heart for those moms who are where I was a few years ago that before anybody is driving, but yet they're all busy. They're all becoming yeah. teenagers, and they yeah. all have their own life. And you're basically a taxi from 3 o'clock after school until 8 o'clock that night. And, you know, the vision I have in my head, I remember Harry and I were just divide and conquer, you know, and given all in. And we made the mistake of just putting the kids first because we're so secure in our marriage and secure in our love for each other. But that can lead to a false sense of security. But I remember driving one night, taking my daughter to a game, and he's passing me on the road going home to take another daughter somewhere else. And we just wave. And I just (laughs) felt like, like, this is so representative of our life right now. Yes. And it's just so easy to get stuck in that mode, especially now with travel teams and dance competitions and things that take children out of town for the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's just really easy to just disconnect from your spouse. Mm-hmm. And so for us, you know, the pandemic was terrible in so many ways, but it really came at a good time because mm-hmm. we were really disconnected at that time and just divide and conquer and not able to spend much time together. And that really allowed us to reprioritize our marriage and start spending time together again. But, um, but yeah, let's talk about, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, three ways that you can reconnect with your spouse. And one thing that I've realized as my kids grow up, I've got one in college, another daughter about to go to college next year. I've just realized that, you know, it's hard for us as moms. It's harder for us than I think our husbands when our children leave home. That's a whole process mm-hmm. of grief itself. Yeah. But, you know, as I've been doing this for a couple of years and finding my way to get through this, I realize that God is so gracious in allowing mm-hmm. our kids to leave home because it forces us to look at our marriage and yes. to reprioritize our marriage. And so now I'm like, I'm valuing my marriage ever more than ever before because I'm like, I want us to enjoy these empty nester years that are not mm-hmm. far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, I mean, we can just really quickly put our marriages on the back burner when we are living parallel lives and when we're in that season. And it makes so much sense because like you said, we're, we're going all the places and we are missing connection and we are um, not sitting down at the table together for dinner. And so if we're not purposeful, then we do find ourselves in the season where our kids are gone and we look at each other and we're like, who are you? Like, I don't even know you anymore. Absolutely. And, you know, I remember, like I said, a few years ago, and I can't even remember exactly when it was, but I remember I'd always felt so in sync with Harry, like, you know, and we're back at that place now. But I remember going through a season where we just were not in sync. We just were not having the same thoughts. We were not on the same page. And we did realize it was like, we got to spend time together. So for us, you know, we had to find those pockets of time, which I know we'll talk about coming up, but, you know, he's off on Fridays. And so we really had not taken advantage of that. And so we're like, okay, 
why are we not going to lunch on Fridays or why are we not going on walks on Fridays? Yes. Like that's our time together. We're so lucky to have mm-hmm. that day together. Well, and you know, planes can fly on autopilot, but marriages can't. And so the truth is we're always either depositing or we're withdrawing in our marriage. And so when we can make that time for each other, it's so important and create those dates and those walks and those um, little pockets of time where it's just the two of us connecting. Because relationships take work and they take time. And if we're willing to make the time, you know, that's one thing. But sometimes we just don't even know where to start. And then if we're not careful before we know it, we look up, our kids are gone. And and like I said before, we just don't even know each other. Right, right. And I love, you know, what you do is you're trying to help parents. You're trying to help couples before they get to that point. Yes. And I I think that is so crucial. Like, don't Mm -hmm. wait until you're about to be an empty nester to go reprioritize your marriage. Like, do it years before. For me, I started to see the writing on the wall when my oldest daughter turned 16. Like, that was my big period of grieving. Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, she is going to leave home. And then her sister will leave home two years later. Like, I'm like, this is is really going to happen. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, And also what happened at that same time, and that's why I tell moms, like, you've got to reinvest in your adult relationships because I had put everything into my kids. And they were the center of my universe. But all of a sudden, I wasn't the center of their universe. They were teenagers. They were wanting to be with their friends. You know, they had a life beyond me. Mm-hmm. And so that really forced me to go back to my, my adult friendships, to my marriage, and reinvest in those things. And it's mm-hmm. been so worth it. Like, has brought me so much joy in this season of when they are, things are changing and they're leaving home. But I think a lot of moms hit that spot where I did, is mm-hmm. that, you know, see the writing on the wall. Don't yep. wait until you're about to be an empty nester. Like, really start taking steps before then to reconnect. Absolutely. Okay, so we've talked about three. We like to have action steps. We've got three ways to reinvest in your marriage, um, just to to strengthen your marriage, especially before the empty nester years. So what is the first way? Well, the first way is to make your spouse a priority. And this is not necessarily always a popular statement in today's culture because really uh, the culture that we're in can be really child-centered. We can make our kids idols. We can make our world revolve around them, their activities, their uh, their schooling, everything, rather than having a Christ-centered home. And a lot of times it makes us feel like a good mom. Like if we're doing all the yes. things and we're running ragged and we're driving them here and we're driving them there and we're micromanaging and over-parenting their lives, we're good moms. Mm-hmm. But in reality, if we're not careful, our kids become an idol and we pull away from our spouse And so, you know, we want our kids to be important. Don't hear me saying that our kids are not important, but they shouldn't be the most important aspect of our lives, right? Our marriage should be the focus of of that strength and um, that secure base for our family. And and when they're little, like I just want to say, there are phases and, you know, stages. And so when we've got kids who are babies and toddlers, you know, they do take a lot more attention because we're keeping them alive. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that, I remember at the end of the day, like, I, I kept them alive. I, today was good. successful. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense. And so we want to allow space for that. Like, sure, it might look a little bit different when we've got um, little people at home, but as they grow, we should be making sure that they grow in their po- proper place yes. and that they are not in the center of our relationship with our spouse. Yes. I remember a friend making that point when our kids were little that she said that, you know, when we were growing up, she said, my parents were so much more social than, mm-hmm. than I, we are now. But she's like, you know, when we were growing up, like kids fit into the existing family order. Yes. The family didn't totally reprioritize around that child. 
And she said, you know, my kid, my parents loved us and they were there, but they had their supper club. Like they had things. And we live in a society where I think people go to one of one or t- of two extremes. Mm-hmm. They either, they have their social life, but mm-hmm. they're not parenting. Right, right, right. But, and, I, and I always say, I would much rather see a parent who is overly invested yeah. than underly invested. Yes. You know, I think it's better to know I'm doing too much. How can I, I scale back mm-hmm. than to be totally checked out and think that the kids are going to be okay. So mm-hmm. I do think that we've, you know, it's good to make them a priority, but also, like you said, making your, your spouse that priority. Mm-hmm. And you said something that I really love that if we're not careful, when we're making the child the center of our universe, we look to the child to meet our needs. Mm-hmm. And we are designed, God created us. He wants us to look to the Lord first to meet our needs mm-hmm. and then to our spouse to meet our needs and then to our children. And I can attest that this is so crucial in the teenage years. Like this is what keeps you a strong mom because if we're looking to our kids to bring us joy, mm-hmm. they're not going to do it. You know I mean? No. They're, especially if you're making them mad or they don't like your decisions or your boundaries. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, you're going to have days where you got to be strong and you've, I'm like, you've got to be getting love from somewhere and you're not always getting it from your child and that's not their responsibility to make you feel good. And so that's why it's so important to get it from our spouse, from mm-hmm. our friendships, from our adult village because really when I feel loved in those other relationships, I can keep loving my child regardless of whether they're loving me back. Yes. And that they'll come back around. You know what yes. I'm saying? But I'm not being resentful and bitter because I've like poured all this time and energy into you and you're not loving me back like I deserve to be loved. Yeah. Well, you know what we can do is, um, and I'm, I've been guilty of this myself, <laughs> is we can over love them, right? Like we can do things for them that they don't necessarily need us to do. Right. And then we can um, look to them to then be so appreciative and so thankful for what we did and then get really hurt when they don't validate us for the work that we did for them. Right. And, you know, it starts to bleed into codependency of, you know, I'm getting my emotional needs met through you. And so it's just so important, again, that we can take the bullets from our kids, that we aren't looking to our kids to make us feel a certain way. Like our kids are going to hurt our feelings. Our kids are going to disappoint us. And there are many times that we're going to um, not feel their love. And mm-hmm. so we have to be able to take the bullet when it comes at us yes. and be that safe space for them. And it doesn't mean we just like let them beat us up, so to right. speak, emotionally. We're not their right? punching bag. We're not their punching bag, yes. right? And that's where boundaries come right. in. Right, and respect. And yes. respect. Like we want to teach them to be honorable. Yes. Um, but we need to know that they're going to have emotions. And if they're on the roller coaster, we don't need to get on it with them. Yes. We can stay on the side and we can handle it on our own. Yes. And that goes back to, I always quote you when I do these uh, talks for moms, is that, you know, we want to be the circle of security. Yes. And our job as parents yes. is to be the kinder, stronger, and wiser one. Mm-hmm. And yep. so that means if our child is about, if they're going to get on the emotional roller yep. coaster, which they all do, yep. instead of going to ride that roller coaster with them and let their emotions affect our emotions, yep. we're going to say, you know what, I'm not going to get on that roller coaster, but I'm yep. going to be standing here on the platform mm-hmm waiting for you with my arms wide open when you're ready to get off. Yep. And that's what kids crave, and that's what keeps them coming back, and that's what makes us that strong support system that they need. Right, and when we've got a strong marriage, Mm -hmm. right, then it's easier to stand at the bottom of the roller coaster together. And so our kids are watching us, and they're learning what a healthy marriage looks like. And so we want to be modeling that and – and showing them what it looks like to have connection. It is too much weight for our kids, actually, to feel the pressure of being our everything. 
Yes. They don't want to be our everything. Right. They know that it's not right. They want us to have a life outside of them, right? They want us to be able to take care of ourselves first and get oxygen from other places. And so when they are in that position where they feel the weight of that, then they get resentful. And then they start becoming pretty nasty to us at times, right? right? Because they're trying to push us back away, like, leave me alone, back off. And we all know adults. I mean, I remember, especially before the holidays this year, I had a friend that she's like, I dread going home because my mom can't be happy without me. Like, Mm -hmm. she puts so much pressure on me to bring her happiness, and it's just too much. It makes her dread going home. And I'm not saying, like, our greatest, our happiest moments will probably be when our kids are home. And I mean, that's my happiest time is when everybody's together. Like, I love it. But you've got to learn to be happy when your kids are away. And it's so good for them to see that. And and I think about even, you know, sometimes Harry and I will go on a date night and I'll post a picture on Instagram or on my stories and my daughters, you know, they'll they'll message me back or respond like, oh, you two are so cute. Like it yeah. makes them happy to yeah. see us having fun without them. It makes, yeah. oh, I wish I was there. You yeah. know, like they that, that helps the relationship more than we really think. Yeah, it, it creates safety for them, mm-hmm. right? They know that they can rest and they can be themselves and they can navigate all of the challenges of being children and teenagers in today's world. And they don't have to manage our feelings as well. Because if we're not okay, they're not okay, right? Like if we're not regulated, they're not regulated. And so So, you know, if they see us um, just living parallel lives with our spouses, they know something's not right. They know that that's not a secure connection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're smart. And and so it's so important that we pour into that relationship and really make our, our spouse first. But first, we want God at the center, right? We want God at the center of our marriage. Like, we don't want our spouse in the God socket where we're looking to them to fulfill all of our needs, right? They are human. Yes. And I think... A lot of times we can romanticize this idea in marriage of you need to meet my needs and you need to be everything to me. The whole you complete me, (laughs) Jerry Maguire. Yes, (laughs) and and really we need to look to the Lord to to do that for us to complete us, and then look to our spouse as a human that has flaws, Mm -hmm. that is not going to be perfect, that is going to disappoint us, and that's okay. We can get up and we can keep investing regardless. Yes. And, you know, I heard heard it said one time in church that the priest said that the purpose of marriage is to help each other get to heaven. Mm -hmm. Like you're helping each other grow into the image of Christ. You are both sinners, and you're helping each other grow in holiness and in that image of Christ. And then he said, the reason that marriage doesn't exist in heaven is because you don't need it when you get there. Mm, I love that. And that always stayed with me. And, you know, sometimes people, they choose the person that, oh, he makes me happy or Uh we have fun together. We do adventures together. And I'm like, no, you choose the person who is going to make you the best version of yourself. Yes. And you're going to grow together. And Tim Keller wrote The Meaning of Marriage. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody should read that before they get married. It is Amazing, and he, he he made a point in that book how you know we we look for the the perfect spouse to be like it's almost like looking for the perfect statue, mm-hmm. but people change you yeah. know even if they're perfect when you marry them if you think they're going to change over time so he's like really what you're looking for is a great slab of marble yes, <laughs> yes. somebody <laughs> with a lot of potential yes. to grow with you yes that can be chiseled away and that's yes. and marriage grows us you yes. know that's where it does refine us and it you know it's just a beautiful you know, imperfect relationship. And if we can't embrace the imperfections, if we expect perfection, 
yes. from our spouse, right. we're always going to be disappointed and we're always going to be let down. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I mean, it's like any relationship. And I always say, too, I did not realize how selfish I was until I got married. Oh, exactly. <laughs> you thought you were in a good place and then you have kids and like, I really like, am oh. selfish. But it's like, God, that's the sanctification. Yes. And that if you can just go with that instead yeah. of being prideful and resisting that, but just saying, God, what are you yeah. trying to teach me? Yeah. How are you trying to change me? Like that's when you really have the potential to grow. Yeah. So what are some some concrete ways we can show our kids that our spouse comes first to prioritize them? That's a great question. So really, it's just time together. It's affection together. Um, We have in our house, we call it couch time, where we would just, you know, whatever you're doing, as long as you're not in the street, you know, juggling knives, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to, dad and I are going to have couch time where we sit and we connect after our day together. Mm. And um, date nights, we've always tried to make date nights a party. Date nights can feel overwhelming, I think, a lot of times because if you're on limited resources it sounds you know a little bit maybe extravagant maybe it's not in the budget to get a babysitter but what we did when we were young and we were in the military together we had other friends who had little ones at the same time and we would swap date nights and so we'd watch theirs and then they'd watch ours but we made it a priority and so um, walks together uh, just really pouring into each other is such an important thing yeah, and at walking, that's probably become one of our biggest things, the ways we connect. Harry and I, I feel like we're getting old. <laughs> but we started it during COVID, you know, because everybody's walking all the time. And now, you know, he doesn't like to exercise. And I, we laugh because I exercise several days a week, but he'll probably live 20 years longer than me. <laughs> it's <laughs> the know, Greek genes. It's the Greek genes, yeah, and low stress, all that. But um, but we love to go walking. And that's such a good way, like, even if I think, oh, we need to talk about something, but this, go- this is going to be a long conversation, or I just need to process this with him. I'm like, hey, you want to go on a walk? And he's usually game for that because that's his only exercise. Mm -hmm. Uh, But something else, you know, we've talked about too is connecting with your spouse by by making sure when your kids ask you something, you know, say, well, let me consult with your dad. Mm-hmm. I say that all the time. And we laugh in our house because our kids know who to ask for what. Yes. <laughs> they, they, they know. <laughs> They're smart. Mom is more likely to say yes about this. Dad is more likely to say yes about this. So I can I can see it when they come to me that they intentionally don't go to their dad because they know he'll automatically say no. I'll consider it. And so, um, but I do it, you know, instead of just giving them that, that yes or no, I'm like, you know, let me talk to your daddy. Mm-hmm. You know, let me, let me just make sure that he's okay with this too. Well, you're showing them that you're a team, mm-hmm. right? You're showing them that we're aligned, we are on the same page, and we are going to be united when we come to you or when we make a decision. And again, that creates safety for the kids. Yes, yes. And I think another way too is just showing that your spouse is a priority is just by bragging about mm-hmm. them. I think yes. that is huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially for kids that they don't always see their, they don't see their parents in the same eyes as their friends would or that an adult who loves them would. And it's so good for them to see them through that, that lens. Yes. You know, especially for husbands, if there's a husband listening, do the, really do this for your wife, brag on your wife, because moms can get some, they can get a lot of bullets, like what you were saying. And I mean, my dad would do that for my mom. Harry does that for me. And it is so crucial to have somebody who says, your mom is working so hard. Mm -hmm. She loves y'all so much. You know, you can't treat her like that to really just brag on them and brag on the person that they are because the kids don't always see that. Yes, absolutely. And even just, you know, when Dave walks into the kitchen and just gives me a big hug and a kiss in front of the kids, you know, just showing that affection or, um, again, yeah, thanking me for whatever dinner or whatever I had just done. Um, It just, it's just another deposit in our bank account, our, our relational bank account. Yes, definitely. Okay, so and what what's the next way that you think to to reconnect with your spouse? Well, 
protecting it, protecting our marriage, protecting our family. Because again, back to your point, we've got an enemy that wants to get in in any crack or crevice that he can. Mm -hmm. And the way that I see marriages get separated so easily is just busyness. Yes. Um, Overscheduling, right? Um, Pouring into work instead of your family. Um, Again, making their, your home a child-centered home. There's so many ways that um, that our marriage can get cracked apart. And uh, Matthew 19, 6 says, What God has joined together, let no man separate. And so we've got to guard and put rails on. And um, I, was th- I heard a talk one time, and the speaker was talking about, you know, when you're going down a mountain, and there are, you know, if you're on a bus, and you're going down a mountain and there are rails on the side of the mountain, those rails aren't necessarily going to stop the bus from going over the side and falling off the cliff if it were going too fast, right? Because the bus is going to be really too powerful and the guardrails aren't strong enough. So those rails aren't there to stop the bus from falling off the cliff. Hmm, Okay, They're there so that you remember where to keep your eyes and where to keep your focus, right? So for, that the driver oh, got it. can stay focused on the road, remembering that, hey, there's a cliff right here. Don't get too close, right? Mm, so and good. so that's how I like to look at our marriages is like there are always cliffs everywhere we turn. There are cliffs in our marriage. What do we need to do to make sure that we've got those guardrails against them? And so one of my biggest challenges as an extrovert in an Enneagram 7 <laughs> is overscheduling and saying yes to all the things. Mm-hmm. And so I learned really early on that, um, that the cost of saying yes to all the fun things in life was taking an impact on my marriage and on, and on my family. And so just learning, you know, every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. And are we making it our best yes? Perfect. Oh, that's so good. And you're right. I once heard this saying that if, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Yes. And I think that's that's our culture. You know? I mean, it he is. He works on us. And especially, you know, if you do have confidence in your marriage, if you know you love each other, that you almost could be more at risk because yes. you're not guarding it and you're not really putting those protections in place. Mm-hmm. And so don't think that you're good. You know, and I always think that I always think that, you know, I want my marriage to be strong so that if something terrible happened, if a trauma or tragedy, like, mm-hmm. I want it to be in a good place yes. to be able to survive something like that. Yes. Because if it's not in a good place, you can survive, you know, life when things are pretty good. Mm-hmm. But you add in a crisis or a trauma, then it's really going to unravel. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think so, too. And, you know, and it's just little things like, like, like you said, saying no and just limiting yourself. And I've said this before. I mean, I've always... You know, I, I learned early on, I mean, when I first started publishing books, I thought, oh, I'm going to have 80 books in my lifetime. Like, you'll hear about authors who have done that many books. And then I wrote one. I'm like, well, maybe about 10 <laughs> in my lifetime, because it takes me almost a year to write it. Yeah. And so, you know, in the first few, I was working on these tight deadlines, and I was grumpy and tired, and I didn't have time for my family. And so I realized, I was like, I am never going to be an author who releases a book a year, yeah. because my relationships suffer, yeah. and it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Like, what good is it if you have, if I was to do 80 books, and then I, I, don't, I don't have a relationship right. in place. Right. And some people can do that. Like, I have friends who can write a book in six weeks. Like, that is a gift and a grace yes. that God has given them. But I almost think that because I am naturally a go-getter, God almost gives me that. It's like a thorn in my side, mm-hmm. like intentionally makes me slow because mm-hmm. it, it makes me pace myself. But we have to make those decisions. We have to. And, and you know, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose our soul, right? right. And so 
we have to be so purposeful about what our priorities are and what matters. And I think we can, you know, we can just get caught up where we are not taking care of ourselves as moms. We are, um, we are getting burned out. And, you know, I've got this resource, um, this five truth bombs for burned out moms that I have on my website. And we talked about it in our last episode, actually, and it's just so powerful because what I find is so many women are just running ragged and they're not yes. taking care of themselves. Yes. And if we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't take care of our kids well, and we certainly cannot pour into our relationships. And so, you know, are, just as simple, are you getting enough sleep at night? Mm-hmm. And are you feeding your body with fuel? And are you... Um, taking care of your mental health, you know? And so it's just really important that we we kind of do an inventory to see where are we and are our patterns and our habits serving our family and yes. our marriage. And it's so important. And I think you and I realize this after when you've been parenting, when you've been parenting about 10 years, it hits you. Like, and I remember somebody, I remember being a young mom and I have so much adrenaline and energy. I'm like, oh, I'm going to just do this so well. And people are like, just pace yourself. You know, but you don't want to when you're young and you're just yeah. excited and you have that adrenaline. But you've been doing it 10 or 15 years. And then especially the teenagers get so busy emotionally and yeah. physically as you're driving them places. And, you know, I, I, I remember hitting this spot. And this is one reason I wrote more than a mom about the very topics you're talking about. It's just I felt so empty and just robotic. And I'm like, even things that used to bring me joy aren't bringing me the same level of joy that yeah. they used to. And yeah. I'm like, I miss my emotions. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I just feel so numb. Like, I'm just like a machine. You know, go produce this work to put out on the Internet. Go, you know, make lunches. Go drive them. But I just felt really empty inside. Mm-hmm. And so it really does take that, you know, protecting yourself is protecting your family and protecting your marriage. And it does take pulling back. And saying, you know what, the world is not going to stop turning if I yes. don't do an Instagram post every day. You know, well, and people are going to be fine. You yeah. know, and the kids are going to be fine if I if I ask them to step up a little bit more, so that I'm not the only one doing laundry in the house. That yep. they got to pull some weight too. Yeah, and just being okay with disappointing people. I yes. think as a recovering people pleaser, I really had to learn the art of disappointing people. Yeah, and I still don't like it, but I do it. Because I know that saying yes to my family is more important than making them happy. Right. And coming to terms with that, I think, is a really important thing. I think streamlining our activities for our kids. I think there's this mindset now in today's world where you have to pick your the sport you're going to play in college by the time you're three. Everybody has personal trainers. You're on multiple travel teams. And and truly, most of our kids aren't going to play in the NFL. Right. <laughs> they're just, they're right. just not. Right. Right. And so we, we, again, put all this time and energy into this potential that perhaps someday they may be uh, in the NFL, but yet we have let our family just suffer because of it right and so and you get to be where we are and you have you see people you know parents who were on that track and they regret they look back and like why my child wanted to quit in 11th grade because he was so burned out because he started in third grade yeah like why did I prioritize that as much as 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 I did and you don't know that when you're a young mom and when your kid's just starting out because everybody else is doing it and that's the pressure and you think if I don't get them on this track now they're forever behind yeah and again that just goes back to not trusting God's plan for their child's life and the Holy Spirit and what he may be doing in their life but yeah I think if you do if you protect your family prioritize your family and then, you know, let God take care of it from there. Then we'll be, you know, you'll have those blessings long term. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we talked about another way to protect your family is to make your time together purposeful with yes. your spouse. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, lasting love is about our connection with each other, being in sync with each other. 
Um, like Gottman talks about those small bids for connection where we are just engaging and reaching for each other. And so, you know, it's finding out ways to carve time together and make sure that we are intentional with that time. So it's one thing, you know, if we're living parallel lives, we might have time together, but if we're not intentional and we're not really pouring into the relationship, then it really doesn't matter anyway. Right. And it might be, you know, an example of this is, and there's nothing wrong with this because Harry and I love watching TV shows together or watching a mm-hmm. Netflix series, you know, whatever. But it might be if that's all you're doing together is watching the latest Netflix series. You're not really connecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you need something deeper than that. That might be kind of fun to do. But, you know, um, I love the New Gottman's book. And they, they talk about, I think, I think the quote is that they can stay with, they can be with a couple for 15 minutes and tell with, with 90% accuracy of whether that couple will make it. Mm-hmm. And the big thing, they're like, it's not grand gestures that is really going to help them make it. It's those small bids for yeah. connection. Yeah. And the example they give is, you know, say the woman says, oh, honey, look at the cardinal outside. Isn't that pretty? You know, and if the husband's like, oh, wow, that is so pretty. Or if he's, if he ignores her and just keeps reading the newspaper. Mm-hmm. Or if he says, oh, that's stupid. You know, who cares about that? You know, whatever that response is, that tells them, what kind of track the relationship is on. Mm -hmm. And I know that somebody listening might, you know, be, they're doing the bids for connection. They're doing their part and their partner is not. That's why it's not purposeful. So what would you tell somebody that is in that situation, that they're trying to do all the right things and they're loving their spouse, but they're not having it reciprocated? So in that situation, I really, you know, I'm a counselor, so this is not going to be a surprising answer, but I really do recommend moving into relationship work, whether it's working with a relationship coach, whether it's going to a counselor, whether it's doing an intensive, because people just need a map. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times there's this, stigma, um, you know, especially when it comes to couples counseling of if we go, it means there's something really wrong and, and really being proactive and just getting a map for your relationship and understanding, for instance, the Gottman work, um, is just so helpful. There's no shame in it. And so if that's not an option, if that's not something that's on the table, then reading some of these books that are, you know, tied into, you know, and it got me in, um, uh, Hold Me Tight is a great book. Uh, Sue Johnson um, wrote that. So Sue Johnson, you know, created this emotionally focused therapy model that I use and think the world of. It has a super high success rate when it comes to couples counseling. But what she says is that really what we want is to know that our partners are accessible, that they're responsive, and that they're engaged. And so if they're accessible, right, are you available? Can I reach for you when I feel overwhelmed by my emotions? Or if I feel insecure, can I express myself to you, right? If I see a cardinal, can I point it out that I think it's beautiful? And will you respond, right? Those bids for connection. Are you responsive? Do you care about what's going on in my inner world? Like, I love this cardinal. Do you care that I love the cardinal? (laughs) I want to know that you care. And that you're attuned and that you're responsive to me. And then engaged. Are you involved? Do you lean in instead of turning away? And, you know, I mean, we are in a world where our, like, we are constantly on technology and our phones give us this still face that sends the message that we're not engaged with our partners. And so we have to fight even harder because it's hard to feel engaged when, you know, you're a couple out at dinner and you're both on your phones. There's no engagement. And so if if that's something that you're struggling with, I just want to direct people, if it's okay, um, to this uh, emotionally focused website to see if there's a, an EFT. We call it EFT therapist in your area. It's I-C-E, ICE, and then EFT.com. 
And that is a great place to start because, again, they they help give people a map from a non-blame approach. That's awesome. Yes. And, and I also think that, you know, it's like any relationship. We can't control the other person. But there is such grace and peace in, when you're doing the right thing. Yes. And knowing that, like, okay, I'm doing my part and just praying about it, too. And, you know, Harry, he prays every morning before before work. It's um, in the Greek Orthodox Church. I guess the Orthodox Church, they have like a prayer. I don't know if it's a prayer corner or a prayer table, but usually you have your icons. And it's just where you go to, you know, spend quiet time with God. And so he, he's he been saying this prayer for our marriage for years. I need to find it. And maybe I'll share it with part of this podcast. But I was like, you know what? He, he has done that faithfully for years. And I'm like, who knows? how God might have answered those prayers for us, especially when we did feel disconnected and yeah. were able to reconnect. It might be a result of those prayers. And mm-hmm. so, you know, don't don't um, underestimate the power of prayer when no. your marriage is not in a good place. That- no. And, and, and to that same point, you know, when Dave and I, um, we, you know, we never fight. We have a perfect marriage. <laughs> right. <laughs> but That's if we, guest, right? yeah, if we fought maybe once in our 25 <laughs> years, um, those times when we sit and we just pray before we try to like figure it out or work it out, it is amazing the difference and the power and the way that our hearts soften oh, when so we are, again, putting him in the middle. Yes. And the times that we don't, it doesn't go as well. <laughs> yes, that's so good. That's so good before you even have the conversation. Yes, before we try together. to repair. Yes. Yeah. Because really, I mean, you know, like I think Tim Keller also said, you know, that when we're looking at our own selfishness as the main problem in marriage, then we have prospect for great things. And so, like, that's it. We go into this dynamic with selfish hearts. We want our needs met. We want them to know that they're the problem. We want them to see their faults. Right. But when we can start looking at ourselves, then hearts soften and doors open, and the Lord redeems that. Yes. And just to give a practical example of how we do this as wives, and our husbands do it too, I'm sure, but I'm just going to give myself as an example. You know, when my kids were little, it was hard. I mean, that was probably my hardest season of parenting was having three little kids under the age of four. And Harry was commuting at the time. He was driving to Anniston every day. They were in the beer business at the time. And so he wouldn't get home until like 8 or 8.30 at night. And so I was wiped out. That's why I started writing. I was like, I'm either going to have a bottle of wine every night or I need <laughs> or to write have, a great book. So. <laughs> yeah, or like have some kind of therapy, you know, through writing or whatever. So like, okay, this is probably healthier. Try to start writing. But, um, you know, that. But there was a time where I would just be kind of bitter when he got home. And I was not the warm and welcoming wife because I'm like thinking, yeah. I am stuck at home with these three kids all yeah. day. I'm so tired. I'm having to do dinner by myself, baths by myself. It's just really easier to get in that bitter place. And so, you know, by the time he got home, I'm like, you know, just mad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what what God revealed to me over time was like, I was just looking at myself. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, look at your sweet husband. I mean, he travels an hour there every day and an hour back every day. And once he got home, he was all ours. I mean, when he was home on the weekends, I mean, he was just dad of the year, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, he did not complain. He's never in our whole marriage complained about going to work. He's always worked hard. Like mm-hmm. he takes it very seriously to provide for our family. And I'm like, he's letting you, he's let, you know, providing so you can stay home with these kids. So yeah. you can pursue writing. And so it's like when your heart just opens up that you're just not about you, yes. you know, and just like my sweet husband. I mean, you know, imagine coming home to that. You've mm-hmm. been working all day, dealing with the stress of a job. You're tired. It's mm-hmm. eight o'clock. You know, he doesn't want to be working that late. That's yeah. just the way it was in that season. 
And then he comes home and I'm all mad and bitter. Yes. And I just think that's the common dynamic in a marriage. And that's where the enemy can really get in because you're looking at each other, you know, as like the enemy. Yes. And that they're not serving my needs, but you're not serving their needs either. Yeah. yeah. The what about me, right, yes. mindset. Mm-hmm. And so when couples can can figure out, okay, you've got four kids at home, you're exhausted by the end of the day, what can we do to help offset that? Right. Right. And, and, right. Find a solution that works within your budget and your time, you know, then you guys are then again on the same team. Mm-hmm. I used to do that as well when Dave was in the military, you <laughs> yes. know, and he'd be on deployments or he'd, you know, be, um, you know, working late at night, exhausted. And, you know, I'm like <laughs> looking at it so naively. Well, you're there with your friends all day long. Right. And, you know, right. like you get to be with the guys and you're, <laughs> you know, flying jets and you're like Mr., you know, Top Gun and you're living the life. And, um, but really, he was sacrificing so much and working so hard. And I needed to be grateful for that. Yeah, yes. And and tell our listeners really quick what he does for a living because he has the coolest job. Well, he's a pilot uh, for FedEx. He flies for FedEx, which is really fun. And he was a carrier jet pilot in the Navy so um, cool. for 20 years. And so it was a it was a fun road, but an exhausting one. Yeah, yeah. And we talked earlier, too, that you had some seasons where he was, he traveled. Yeah. And especially, you know, I was, Harry never had a job where he traveled. So I was very lucky that he's always been able to be very engaged on a daily basis. Yeah. But, you know, I have friends whose husbands travel a lot. Yes. And I know some of our listeners are husbands travel yeah. a lot. So, um, you know, as far as in connecting in that mm-hmm. situation, what's a good tip? Well, this offer? is something that I had to learn the hard way. And so for years, um, I was not good about, you know, kind of making his time home sacred. Again, seven on the Enneagram, extrovert, like I have a full calendar. Mm-hmm. And so when he came home, I didn't want to change things. I didn't want to pull things off of the calendar. But I learned how important it was, especially now, you know, he'll be gone for two weeks and he'll be home, making sure that he's got a few days with a a free calendar when he gets home where we can Mm, just, you know, he can kind of roll into life. We can, you know, because they're flying through the night. And so it takes them a while to adjust as well. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. But being just purposeful when he's home and making that a sacred time for our connection. I I think I've finally figured it out after 25 years. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we're doing this podcast. Don't don't make the mistakes that you made. Let us keep you from our mistakes. Yes, don't be the bitter wife blaming your husband for everything when he's just working hard. Yes, exactly. Okay, and we also talked about, you know, connecting with our spouse is just having, we talked about intimacy statements, and it goes back to just affirming them and building them up, seeing the positive over the negative. How do you walk how do you walk your clients through that? Yeah, so one of the tools that we've used, and I'm not even sure where I got these. Um, I picked them up somewhere, so I apologize if I'm not honoring or, or um, referencing someone with them. But there are these intimacy statements, is what we call them, where we just have five areas that we just touch on. Because a lot of times people just don't know where to start. And they, again, they just need a map. They're not sure how to connect. Maybe it wasn't modeled in their family. And so this is a quick, easy inexpensive because it's free way for people to get connected. And so this is what we would incorporate when I talked about our couch time. We would sit down and we would do these intimacy statements together. Um, We can do them when he's traveling as well, and it just keeps us connected. And so there's just five areas that, that we touch on. And in it, one partner is the speaker, one partner is the listener, and just reflects back the speaker's message. And then we switch Oh, that's so good. You know, and I just read something. I think it was on Instagram. It was from Lisa Damore from her new book. And she was talking about using that with her teenage daughter. 
And she's like, basically, I kind of consider a conversation with my daughter, and this applies to marriage too, that she's the journalist and I'm her editor. And my job is to listen, to take in everything that she's saying, to distill it, you know, narrow it down to those key points and to repeat it to her without adding anything. So I think that's so effective in marriage as well. Yeah, that's it. It's just that reflection back. You're not getting defensive to what they say. You're Mm -hmm. not trying to change the narrative. You're just being present and holding space for the other person's emotions and and thoughts and feelings. And so really quickly, I'll just touch on this. So um, so number one is appreciations. And so you share something that you appreciate about your spouse, right? So like, I appreciate that you went to the store for me so that I didn't have to, or I appreciate the way that you were leading the kids well in that scenario, or I appreciate it when you, you know, spend time with me in the evening before we go to bed. So we're building our partner up and letting them know how they impact us positively. That's awesome. And I I think if there is a place to start in building your marriage or rebuilding your marriage, it's the appreciations. And something happens. I I think when we're newlyweds and you're first married, you you say all these things out loud. But then there comes a point where you're just like in the trenches and you're distracted and you thank them, but you don't say them. And that's one thing I've really tried to get more intentional about with Harry. And, you know, we were talking earlier, like even, you know, he last night was so sweet. Ella, our daughter, is about to go on spring break with her friends, but she didn't have any summer clothes. And so she needed those, but, you know, she needed somebody to meet her halfway from Birmingham today or, or last night. And I had something last night. And then we had this podcast today that we'd scheduled months ago when you were coming in town. And so I couldn't do it. But um, so Harry was like, OK, well, I'll do it. I can't do it on Friday, but I'll do it Thursday night. But sweet guy. I mean, he drove. He commutes to work now to Collier. It's a different place, but drove home 45 minutes from Collier, which would have been closer to Auburn, but he didn't have the clothes with him. <laughs> so he had to drive home. Got home about seven, picked up her clothes, and then drove an hour to go meet her. And so this morning, you know, we were talking about it. I was like, and I was like, I'm not going to just think that and not say it. I was like, you are such a great dad. Like, they are so lucky to have you. That was so sweet. And he was like, oh, you know, I loved it. I loved getting to spend time with her. Mm -hmm. We had a good little chat before she left. So I do think those little things that, Mm -hmm. like I said, even if your spouse is not doing it back, just you doing your part. A lot of times, if you do appreciate your spouse or any relationship, you're going to get it back, and it's going to create that dynamic where you both say those things yes. out loud. Yeah, it's just depositing in each other's accounts again. Yes. So absolutely. And way to go, Harry. That was sweet <laughs> of him. So yeah, so appreciations is number one. Number two is just new news, new information. So for instance, um, I finally got that raise I've been waiting for, or today I scheduled an appointment for us with the tax planner. <laughs> you know, just kind of mundane stuff uh, that we need to share that we haven't yet that our spouse might be interested in. Yes. And then number three is puzzled, something that I'm puzzled about, something that I'm curious about. It can be about anything, right? I'm not sure how I'm going to figure out that plan at work, or I'm confused by my friend's behavior. I think maybe I need to reach out to her, or I'm conflicted about my feelings about, you know, our our son's new teacher, and I'm trying to, you know, figure that out. Um, Am I crazy for thinking this? Am I wrong here? It's just something that we're wrestling with that our spouse doesn't know we're wrestling with. Yes. And I, I want to just touch there for a minute. I've been thinking about this a lot lately as I'm, my kids are getting older and I'm thinking about just marriage advice. But like one thing you don't think about when you're picking your partner is like you want a good reality check. Yeah. Like your partner and you see a lot of couples kind of lead each other astray because the woman might say, am I, am I wrong to be mad? No, you're not wrong. Let's go call yes. the principal. You know, if you're, 
you know, you want somebody that's a good sounding board, that, but that's also like, am I crazy? Like, yeah, a little bit, but you right. know, you have a point, but you want somebody who's logical and level-headed. Yes. A guy does too. I mean, it works both ways, but that's something I feel like the older my kids get and the more we've been married, I'm going to Harry more and more yeah. for just like, help me process this. Mm-hmm. Help me, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you the situation and just help me think through yeah. it. But that's, I think that's such a key part of marriage. It is. And typically, you know, typically in a marriage, you're going to have two people who think very differently. Maybe one's a feeler, one's a thinker. Right. And so Dave is, you know, again, super logical, mathematical. That's his brain. Mm -hmm. I'm very right brain, you know, feeling empathetic. And so it's important. Like I turn to him to get a um, a, a reference check, you know, to get a, a logical assessment of, you know, am I missing something? And it's really helpful. Yeah. And then he'll yes. do the same for me occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, mean, I think especially for, for children, like, yeah. you know, I'm like, okay, I know, I know that was an easy no to say to her, but you've got to understand, like, this is hard for her, you know, yeah. or she's missing out here. Like, you've yeah. just got to understand why she's sad about it. But I think that's what we bring to the table as moms is that empathy and Absolutely. that compassion and those unspoken things. Absolutely. And then number four is complaints with a request for change. And so this is a, a chance to share a complaint, but we're not, it's not, you know, intended to be kind of like we're lamb blasting each other. It's, um, you know, I felt frustrated when I cooked dinner and you were late. I would feel better if you could whatever, maybe text me next time on your way home or give me a call when you're leaving the office and then I can plan accordingly. Or, um, you know, do you remember when you, um, maybe you discussed that hard topic in front of the kids? I'd rather we discuss it in private in the future if that's okay, right? So you're, you're, it's a chance to share a frustration, but you're sharing it in a respectful way and you're sharing it in this framework. And so the listener in that moment will want to get defensive probably. Well, I didn't, call you because blah, 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 right? But this isn't the time for it. They're just sharing that they're frustrated. Then the speaker's letting them know what they would prefer instead. So good, so good. And then what's the last one that you would suggest? Yeah, the last one is just sharing our hopes and dreams. You know, dream together. I hope someday, I wish that, someday I'd love to. Maybe we could do this vacation. Maybe we could, you know, move to a different town. You know, whatever it is, you're just sharing this dream and these possibilities for your life together. Yeah, and I think especially as you are an empty nester, that part is so important. Yes. Because sometimes, especially as women, sometimes we can have that mentality of like, Nobody needs me. My life is over. My kids have left home. I've lost my purpose. And, you know, you can look at it that way or you can say that, one, they're always going to need you in a different way. So they, you always need your mom. But also like, wow, this is a time to really go invest in my marriage and be grateful that we're both healthy enough right now. Yes. Who knows what the case will be in 10 or 15 years. But, you know, I have a friend that she had three kids in a row and they're, they're all three in college now. And she's like, I kind of mourned it for a few weeks. And then she's like, one day, it was Wednesday and my husband was like, you know, hey, do you want to go to North Carolina this weekend? Yes. And she was like, yeah, that's great. And so she's like that. It really just changed her attitude mm-hmm. that it's been fun to be able to have these new dreams or to be able to pick up and go. Yeah. And I think that's really what can take marriage as well into the next season of life when it's just the two of you again. Yes. And that's why, you know, when we're talking about invest and pour into your marriage before yes. you get to the end yes. of, of parenting, not that it ever ends right before it, to get the end of the end of having your kids at home. But when you have a vision, it makes everything stronger, right? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Yes. And so having a vision for what is life going to look like once the kids fly, 
We want our kids to fly. It's good for everybody. And how are we going to celebrate it? Yes, definitely. Oh, I love it. So Kim, as we're wrapping up here and talking about marriage and why it's so important in the empty nester years and as your kids grow up, we obviously can't forget to mention the physical connection, how important that is in every season. And like everything else in a marriage, it ebbs and flows. I think sometimes you have better seasons than others. But let's talk a little bit about physically reconnecting with your spouse and maybe some ways to set the stage for that to happen. Yeah, that is, um, it's something that gets overlooked and it is such an important component. And, you know, physical connection is one of the most important things in marriage. It's what marriage was created for, was that connection. I see so often marriages that are, you know, running parallel and physical intimacy just doesn't have a place. Mm -hmm. And that's another place for the enemy to get in and and really crack, um, crack the marriage code. And so, you know, a lot of times there's different reasons, and I don't want to invalidate those reasons. I just want to shine light that it it is a really important part of it. And so, I mean, there are a lot of things, let's face it, in this season of life, you know, a lot of us are dealing with menopause and hormones changing and body changes, and all of those things can impact our sex drive. And... Um, you know, and when we're younger, we've got little people needing us 24-7. And right. so the last thing you want is somebody else touching your body. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, people have been touching me all day. All day long, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so one of my go-to resources is um, is actually a new book called Secrets of Sex and Marriage, Eight Surprises That Make All the Difference. And it is by um, a friend of mine, Shanti Feldhahn, and um, Dr. Michael Sistma and... Um, they do some great research about how the sex topic in marriage um, can get overlooked and and ways to make that a priority in your marriage. Yes, yeah. You know, I've always heard that, you know, sex is it's a glue for a marriage. It's what it glues you together. And yeah. even when I'm talking to my girls about the purpose of sex, you know, and why God put it in the confines of marriage, it's like it, because it glues you to each other. And the reason it's not right outside of marriage is because it can glue you to the wrong person. Yeah. yeah. I heard that one time and I thought that was so powerful. Well, and so I think, you know, when we are in those seasons of like, I am just not feeling it, I'm not wanting this, but remembering, okay, but this is the glue for my marriage. So what do we need to do to get back to reconnecting that way? And you mentioned the hormones and especially the, I just turned 50, that's where all my friends are too. And that is huge. And so, you know, you might need to see your OBGYN or go see a doctor. Now, I would be very careful in who I would see because some are better than others. Yes. And so you definitely want somebody who's credible and who knows what they're doing. But, you know, hormone replacement therapy that sometimes it's, you know, our hormones are out of whack, especially Mm -hmm. as we're getting into perimenopause and menopause. And so, you know, don't just, you know, blame yourself because your sex drive isn't there or something, you know, isn't right there that a lot of times there might be something going on inside of you. Um, Also, there's all this research with just the foods that we eat and the impact that those foods have on our hormones and our thyroid. And just, you know, knowing that, again, it goes back to taking care of yourself and just really taking care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and knowing that you have legitimate needs as a human being. And when you're not feeling fulfilled, when you're running on on robot mode and you're not feeling fulfilled by life or feeling those joys, it's going to be hard to be in the mood when your husband starts touching you. Yeah. And for women, it's such... A vulnerable thing, you know, intimacy mm-hmm. is so much more of an emotional thing, whereas for men, it's just a lot more physical. Right. They don't have as many feelings about it. <laughs> so right. Yes. We can miss each other. And so if you're finding 
it's difficult to connect physically with your spouse. I do, you know, I go back to recommending professional advice, whether it's, you know, a doctor, um, you know, couples counseling, again, working with coach, mentor, things like that, to figure out where that block is. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't make that a priority, again, then it, it loosens the security of the relationship. Yes, yes. And I think the, the more that builds up, it just gets more and more awkward. <laughs> so it's yeah. going to be awkward, you know, reconnecting in that way anyway. Yes. But just the longer time goes on, the harder it is to do that. Absolutely. Okay, well, this was such a great conversation. I knew it would be. Um, I just appreciate you so much making the time to come here. And I know the listeners are going to benefit so much from all your wisdom. I will put the links to your book and to the parenting courses that you offer and some of the other great resources that you offer in the show notes for anybody who wants to get more from Kim Anderson. And just thank you again for coming. Thanks so much for having me. I love it. Me too. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm so grateful to have you here. And if you enjoyed the show, please follow the Girl Mom Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. And leave a ratings or review so others can find these messages too. Also, my new book for moms called More Than a Mom, How Prioritizing Your Wellness Helps You and Your Family Thrive is now available everywhere books are sold. This book is for girl moms and boy moms and full of encouragement no matter what season of parenting you're in. Find the link to this book and my other books in the show notes. Thanks again for your support and have a great day.